So that's exactly why we would have the numbers past 2020 numbers, right? So right now we're at 31,500, and out of 2027 is 39,000. So it's an additional 7,500 students. That's going to be a big impact, right? Like how do you how do you go about providing classrooms and all of the other academic aspects of what we do here? So that's kind of the, the plugging in my planning input is I get those numbers. Um, I should go back and also emphasize that 12,000 faculty and staff going up to an additional 2,500 faculty and staff. The other nuanced part is the 2020 initiative is all for undergrad students, but as you all know, a significant amount of your teaching is by faculty and GSAs, right? Or graduate student assistants, right? Do you guys call them GSAs here? TAs, okay. Berkeley called them GSIs, actually, graduate student instructors. So as you're growing your undergrad population, you have to grow your graduate population as a significant part of your education labor course. And the challenge is not in my domain, thankfully, is trying to align the graduate growth in what majors they choose with what undergrads are choosing for their majors. It's actually um, really complicated. So goals, methods, process. As a land-grant university, uh, you know, it's, our heritage here is from the land-grant of 1860. Lincoln signed this really was the democratization of higher education. It was fabulous. And they dedicated public lands towards education. And there's a kind of a triptych of goals or values in a land grant. There is research at the top, top level. There is education at the topest level, highest education. And there's also community service, public benefit. So it really was, how can higher education benefit society? And most of the land-grant universities at that time were agricultural and mechanical arts. Aggies, right? Davis was the College of Agriculture for UC Berkeley. Agriculture. People came from Tulare County, Yolo County, and they learned education, right? They learned agricultural practices, and they went back to their counties, and they shared that knowledge and created this incredible bread basket that we live in. So that's... That is support the academic enterprise. Like we have to do that. That's our state mission, and that, that deals with classrooms, research facilities, offices. But there's also that part of public service for our immediate community, for the region, for the state, for the nation, for the, for the world. And you can look at the global impact of what our research does and what our community does. But for me, as a campus planner, I'm focusing on communities that I can actually affect immediately, really kind of enriching community life on campus. We have a strong tradition of community, residential qualities, and we're trying as much as we can to do that. And the third main goal is creating a sustainable future. UC Davis has a really strong legacy in sustainable initiatives. Uh, we have right now a, a large, large task from the Office of the President, which is UCOP. It's the kind of in-between between every University of California campus and the regions. Some people call them OP, some people call them UCOP. I go with OP. So they created a carbon neutrality initiative. So by 2025, how do we do that? Especially how do you do that when you're growing in these large, large numbers? Huge challenge. 
Um, and all of these goals are not mutually exclusive. They are intertwined and integral to, to each other. One of our main methods of planning for this round of the LRVP is neighborhoods. Um, the previous version showed a map of campus that was really a difficult puzzle to decode. Rather than trying to show you the entire campus at once and have you figure it out, we would actually like to zoom in on some of these aspects. So, that's okay, I can do it with a mouse, I think. Yeah, so here's this, what we're calling the civic core, which is really that non-vehicular public space qualities of So uh, here's our civic core surrounded by an academic neighborhoods, right? Down here you've got College of Engineering, Physical Sciences, College of Biological Sciences. Here we are, go Aggies. Social Sciences, you know, parks. And then surrounded by residence halls, campus recreation, and then obviously the big there's health sciences out here, which is the vet med predominantly. So we wanted to use this as a way to make what we're doing more accessible. Um, and we'll get into those in a minute. Our process here is, really this is our first step. This is our initial process. And we just hosted a couple of open houses uh, in Nelson Hall on campus mm -hmm. in the last couple of weeks. Recognize some of you here. Um, we will host more of them probably in February as we get, get feedback from the community we will then kind of get an idea around numbers. Okay, how many housing units are we talking about? What transportation policies are we really going to go forward with? We have certainty around. So right now we're just kind of listening to concerns as we put land use designations on the map. And early December uh, or in early 2016, you will partner with the city of Davis and they'll host some open houses and help us engage our, our neighbors, which is a unprecedented. It's a really great relationship between town and town. Historically, or in general, a lot of campuses can have adversarial relationships, you know, impacts on one or the other, but this is a really great opportunity. City Council of Davis is, is really excited about this opportunity, and we are too. So, initial planning, preliminary planning, April, May, we kind of launch our environmental impact report process. We start looking at Okay, what are the real impacts to groundwater, air quality, noise, very quantitative, right? This is the kind of legal teeth of California's Environmental Quality Act. We'll come out with the draft plan of the LRDP and the draft environmental impact report next year, next October. Finalize it in March and April and submit it to regions for approval. So, long process here. For campus, the beautiful thing about Davis is it has this wealth of public space and this dearth of car. It's this incredible space. Most often, cities have their civic cores, you know, libraries, opera halls, and campus. We actually have that, right? We have, you know, Mondavi Performing Arts Center at the end, we're coming with an art museum, visitor center, walking through all of this open space to the quad. This is, you know, in many ways, the heart of campus. So, how is that going to perform with growth? Right. How are we going to create more public space as we increase our student body and our staff and our faculty? And this diagram is, is obviously it's big, but there are um, additional capacities built in. So environmental court, 
we, the arboretum gets expanded, we redevelop around it, around the art becomes an expansion of the arboretum, right? Pretty fun. The sciences quad over here relates to the, the new chemistry discovery complex that the chancellor announced a few months ago. And then I'll talk to you about this north end in a minute. Maybe a new Unitrans terminal on the first and A site, uh, creating a hierarchy of, of circulation in that area. But also in this core, there are programs that really bring life and vibrancy to the public space, right? Like what would the quad be without the coffee house providing coffee or food or all the student identity groups and the placards outside or the Women's Resource Center? And on the right here, you see just kind of a, a sampling of all the different programs that are in buildings that need to be looked at, analyzed, and made sure that they have capacity for our growth. So, we're trying to map those in and really using this, these programs as our mixed use. This is not our commercial mixed use, this is our civic kind of, of real lovely spaces. So Herring Hall, um, if we can get in there, if we can have the ground floor of that facing the bus terminal. I know KDBS is really happy in Freeborn Hall. We never want to displace them, but I love the idea of a DJ through a glass and it's like this really urban, vibrant street frontage. Um, also, finally getting back into Freeborn Hall, where KDBS is, renovating that space. Classrooms is the other big part. You have several thousand new students, how do you provide classrooms? So right now there's three projects under construction or in design process and approved. You've got the Recital Hall, which is on Hutchison, the bus bicycle corridor. Walker Hall will be renovated with four classrooms and then the large lecture hall in California. Additional renovation of Herring Hall and Cruise Hall, as well as several other buildings to provide more classroom spaces like this one. And then academics. Over the last 10, 20, 30 years, we've developed outwards from campus, building new buildings, whether they're research or teaching labs, the plant sciences building, a you know, great example. So we're at a point now where our infrastructure is aging and needs to be renovated and rehabilitated. So in a kind of sustainability ethos, renovate before you build new. And we're really taking that to heart, trying to renovate all of these old buildings here to provide extra capacity for faculty offices, for research facilities. There are also two large initiatives that are happening in the next 10 years. Yeah. So if you look at the age of the buildings that you're looking to renovate, mm -hmm. is there like, um, I don't know, is there a formula that you can say, okay, if we put this much money into this building, we're going to get an extra X number of years of use yep. out of it? Yeah. And how do you figure that out? Um, it's a really good question. We do do that, and there is, it's basically an economic analysis that when you invest in the structure, how long is it going to last versus, we, we had a very good report for housing on campus for Orchard Park and Solana Park where we did that analysis. And we could renovate it and they could last for 20 years. Or, so, or you could redevelop them and they could last for 80. And the redevelopment cost was about 20% of the renovation costs, more. So you got a lot more time out of it. Mm -hmm. um, the actual tweaking of those dials is obviously in any model ton of assumptions, like of how they're, you know, calculating that value, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, somewhat defensible. I don't know all the details behind it, but that is exactly what we're looking at. Some of the buildings have seismic problems. That was my next question. Yeah. How do you upgrade the code? Yep. And we have, that's, that's, there are a ranking of seismic projects that are, you know, life safety. Mm -hmm. Those rise to the top. Others that aren't necessarily as critical. 
we cut them off. Um, Picky Jim, Freeborn, Paul, Paul's, those are two seismic challenges that we face. Um, so our facilities group, which manages buildings, is looking at that, and we're kind of laying that information over on top of, well, we need more space. How does that work? If we take the seismic capital, you take the renovations capital for offices, does it make sense to renovate or to tear down? A lot of these buildings are low density, two stories. You know, and they're going more sustainable. If you did get to that point where you want to redevelop them, you would obviously go up more than what we have in the past. So. What I really want to talk to you about is campus housing and transportation. So if we're growing by altogether 10,000 additional students, faculty, staff, where are they going to live? Right? Davis has a, you know, a report that just came out that says 0.3 vacancy rate. So historically, 90% of our students, more than 90%, live in Davis. Um, increasingly, staff is not living in Davis, either by choice or by um, cost of living in Davis. Obviously, it's a lot of factors going into where you choose to live. Where you work is just one of them. Where your child goes to school, cost of housing. So, yeah. Could you tell them the implications of a 0.3% vacancy rate? What, what that means? High rent. Uh, it means that housing is really, really hard to find, and rents go up. Um, costs to buy a house go up. So the likelihood that our growth numbers, if we don't do any housing, right? If we just say as is, and you, any additional growth you have on campus, where are they going to live? They cannot squeeze into a point three vacancy. So Davis could become a commuter school, which is completely against a lot of our core values, right? Of sustainability, of community. So how do we do it? So that's, that, this is really our challenge, right? Got our planning inputs for numbers, we're looking at it. So we looked at it by neighborhood. Orchard Park. Have you guys been around there, familiar with Orchard Park? Okay. Uh, it's currently fenced off. Um, it's super sad, it's kind of creepy. I was expecting something on Halloween to happen. Turkeys like that. So that project went through that analysis of renovate for this much, redevelop for this much, clear direction towards redevelop. Um, that's why it's empty. And right it's now too it's expensive for the seismic retrofit as well as if you went up, you have to completely redo the foundation. Right. So the, and I'm not sure how seismically unfit they are. It might just be aging infrastructure with roofs and um, Solana Park all in the same, same situation. So that is a project that is currently, we've had a student, graduate student committee on it and gives input on how to do student housing that is currently in Morak Hall being reviewed. So that will inform the 20 or 18 acres or so up here. Um, and that will always be zoned as land use, right, as residential. What we're looking to do is add capacity. So what if we added the additional capacity here on the, what we're calling, what are called, the Orchard Park greenhouses. The last LRTP had these as housing, never developed. Greenhouses are also in really bad shape and need to be invested in, right, renovated. And what the plan has them landing is right down here next to the kind of newer greenhouses in the student farm. 
College of Ag is aware of this, they're excited about it, that's really where we're going to concentrate greenhouses, environmental horticulture greenhouses will also go there, um, it will be a greenhouse district. So with that, the idea is that we extend the open space just south of the Wellness Center all the way to the Experimental College community and create this really gracious open space corridor and a crossing across the river. And really formalize that crossing because right now I know there's a lot of people who just kind of play Frogger every day. <laughs> so our, our, our question here is, you know, when you're doing new family housing, how high can you go? What's an appropriate density? How do you make this work? This is an incredible walkable neighborhood. We just look at the core of the neighborhood where Orchard Road, Orchard Street, and Orchard Circle all intersect. I can't believe there's three names that have the same name. Five-minute walk, you have an incredible wealth of amenities, right? Community garden, you have the community support of agriculture from the student farm, rec pool, daycare, daycare, playgrounds, groceries, pharmacy, the ark, rec field, basketball. Excellent place to have families. So how do you develop that? Can you use the outdoor space and then go denser? That's, what we'll, that's the crank of the dial we're going to do in January and February. This is the wild one on Russell Field. Campus Rec, um, their interest is to do synthetic fields, light. They can get a lot more efficiency out of those fields. So that's a 12 point that I've got. No, 15. Yeah. So what if we did campus student housing on the north end of campus? That's a very gracious setback for housing and open space. So this field here could accommodate an Olympic football field, like real football, soccer, 150 feet by 350 feet. It's also needed for our flooding for the 100-year event on campus, California Avenue floods. So our plan is to do rain gardens all along California Avenue, through here, and to flood this. So that would be something akin to a wildlife habitat when it was wet. Um, imagine the edges of this as Arboretum North, similar to the edges around Central Park that have rose gardens and habitat value, right? And we put in Central Park here and the quad to really have a scale reference to what open space is still left. The space is huge as it is. Steve lives in this neighborhood, so he's, he's super interested. Um, the conversion of rec fields is obviously impacting campus rec, so we have a plan, that I'll show you in a minute for that. Redevelopment of Toomey Field um, as faculty and staff housing, all of these have question marks. Um, you know, that's really our edge with the city, and you know, honoring that, there's a 50-foot green belt corridor. Imagine that as a gracious bikeway, you know, double, you know, allayed trees so that we're not right up on the curve, right, providing good bicycle infrastructure along A Street, but also recognizing the neighbors across the street and kind of the, the built form, having continuity across both sides. Even if it is students predominantly across the street or local residents, we wouldn't want to go up to a you know, four-story wooden frame student apartment building. It would be a two-story setback. And there's a big, big benefit to housing faculty and, and and staff on campus, so not just students. But this, this really becomes this vibrant student district, you know, the ME when it's renovated will be open until one o'clock in the morning, you got the rec pool, or sorry, the hickey gym, hickey pool, and then this 
Third Street, A Street Field, the previous plan had this as expansion for academics from the social sciences. This is the last spot for them to grow if they grow. They're really pinched in between the city and the quad. So, um, there would still obviously be a big, gracious open space there as well. One of the things that we're trying to explore here is not parking it like West Village. Um, West Village is a great success in terms of energy, but it really uh, fails in terms of transportation. One third of the landmass is surface parking lot. We park three out of four students. In this highly high amenity index of all these walkable features again, right? Central Park, downtown and all of its resources and track for regional transportation. We're not comfortable parking three out of four students here, so what if we had 500 students living there and provided 50 electric smart car car shares that was run by UC Davis? Could that work? We do that right now for residence halls, first year students, no parking provided. Um, I think there's about 17 zip cars on campus. But what if we actually went really big on it? Yeah. So I, I saw this project that was going on at Stanford where they have like an underground parking lot, but on top there's like a field. Uh -huh. What about putting that somewhere here on campus, like super close, like yeah. kind of like north by Russell? Like, would that work? Um, it that absolutely like can work. I think it's, it's, it's just a matter of financing and how do you how do you justify the cost. Yeah. That idea, I, I love that project. Mm -hmm. I want to do that in front of the park. So yeah. that parking lot submerged also has a detention basin for the building. And on top is either tennis courts and or you know, low. You can't do big plantings on structure. Yeah. It's just as limited, but it's expensive to excavate, excavate for one yeah. level. So usually they do it in really high value places and the Bay Area will excavate three floors and build on top. Yeah. But the cost of building that is almost prohibitive here, just because we have so much land, mm -hmm. it's in the Central Valley. Who does that, right? It's like maybe downtown Sacramento, and so just the developers who part with us, or if we did it ourselves, it's just a challenge in yeah. terms of doing it, but that's a really good, it's what we need to do mm -hmm. um, if we have to park it. So this is car share program. This is the LaRue corridor, which when you, you know, here's we are in Russell Field, Howard Field, Toomey Field, A Street Field. The campus rec would like to do synthetic turf here just to match the dairy field across Hutchie. Have kind of really intense and recreational programs. The, the dominoes that have to fall for Toomey Field are significant. So for Toomey Field to become faculty and staff housing, well, our plan is to put it down on top of the existing dairy. The existing dairy has to be relocated across Highway 113, which most of this area would be pasture. So those are two really big dominoes. So Toomey Field, aging infrastructure, right, bleachers, bolts sticking out. Um, it's challenging. It's also a really memorable, sacred space that a lot of people grew up here going to football games and having a real sense of a community coming together. So the last uh, of these three neighborhoods is the Solano Gateway neighborhood where Solano Park's apartments are. And then here's environmental horticulture. Nelson Gallery, which is where we have our exhibit that I want to talk to you about in a minute.
So just remember where that is in your mind so you don't get lost if you come. Rack call, where's the clock? Um, this area is incredibly complex. There's a private property across the railroad tracks called the Nishi Project. It is looking at redeveloping this area as a combination of housing and um, R&D. And for that to really happen without major traffic impacts on Richards uh, over here, I-80 exit and entrance and the Richards Tunnel, um, we're exploring with the city the idea of a possible underpass um, into Nishi. The challenge for us as a public land-grant institution Okay, is that the best use of public resources, right, for our state mission? How do we how do we make that argument? Is it in our interest? Is it in the state's interest to do this? And there are arguments for it. Um, but what we're looking at right now is, okay, this is here. We're going to analyze it in the environmental impact report. Look at the the pros and cons of it. Again, today we're talking about extra capacity. So, redeveloping environmental horticulture as a mixed use residential on the second, third, fourth floor with academic on the ground floor. So we can't really sustain a lot of retail on campus because most of our community is gone nine months out of the year. So if you squared off the Arboretum, similar to the quad up here, provided a gracious open space, what would that do? How, what are the challenges there as we do that? Um, again, incredible walkable neighborhood, bike shares, Cargo bikes as a way to get groceries, transport kids around. This is also an area where we want to minimize traffic impact. Anything near the city of Davis, downtown, does not need to park. Yeah. Um, is there any talk of a train station? There is. There has been talking about this for like 30 years. Um, <laughs> right? Is it straight? You know, could Amtrak do this? Um, not likely, but SACOG, our regional metropolitan planning organization, um, is applying for a federal grant to explore um, increased rail from Sacramento to Davis using the existing rail line, which is really wild. It would be great. But yeah, that's, that was my thought too. It's like, come on, there's a train station. You know, UC Davis. Um, so transportation. Even if we don't grow at all, we have a huge challenge. We have 6,000 parking permits that are issued to people who live outside of Davis, and they come to campus every day. This is a 25-mile radius circle around Davis, and the circles within it are the, a number of parking permits in Woodland, Sacramento area, Citrus Heights, Dixon, Flinders, Vacaville, and these are kind of the scales here, so 100, 200, 3,000, 4,000, So significant. And these are all drive-alone drivers. Big no-no in sustainability transportation. So what can we do to get you out of your car? <laughs> well, if you look at that 6,000 people driving, that's the greatest collection of potential carpoolers, right? Lyft would die to have that. They're like, oh my gosh, I got 6,000 potential drivers? Yes. And they're all going to the same spot? So we have been talking amongst ourselves about creating an app where you like, get on your phone in the morning, I gotta pick up two colleagues, two classmates. Pick up you, and you. Dynamic every day. If you did that, you get free parking. Okay. Um, how do you incentivize it? 
what if we worked with Amtrak and provided you know, much more subsidies for taking the regional transit? I take the train every day, I live in Oakland. Eventually, I have to live here, but it takes a while. Um, Stanford made an agreement with Caltrain to provide free access for all of their affiliates. Stanford money? Um, we probably can't do that with Amtrak, but we can probably help. What if we bought you a folding bike? And said, if you do this, can you agree not to buy a parking permit for the next year? See if it works. We have a local challenge. 2,500 people in Davis drive alone to campus every day. In a town that's covered, 93% of the town is covered. This cloud here, this lovely cloud, is the Unitrans service. A four-minute walk from every bus stop covers 93% of town. It's a flat town with a great bicycle network. So right now we have an incredible mode split. 70% of people of our total community bike, bus, walk, carpool. Still, how do you get that last percent to get out of their car? And it's not about hitting them with a stick. It's about giving them a carrot. So how do you make their daily life better? Buying a jacket for the winter. Right. There's a lot of people who are like, I just love you. Waterproof poncho would be there. Yeah. <laughs> Last week was hard. Right. Ponchos would be there. We'd pick ponchos in a heartbeat. Check that. Ponchos They work. What if we made Unitrans free? Okay. Mountain View is trying that right now. Right there in Mountain View. There's a lot of communities that do that do this, right? So right yeah. now it's free for students, or it's not really free. You know, it's in your student things. Um, but what if it doesn't mean faculty, staff, it's not free. Anybody in the city of Davis, it's not free. Also, cargo bikes, electric bikes when it's hot. I mean, there's a whole bunch of mobility services that we can do. Lyft can also work here. For the regional one, if we bought you a Tesla minivan for 60 grand and you guaranteed to pick up three colleagues, it's cheaper for us than building three parking spaces. Go ahead, you have a car. You have to pick up three people every day. You can have it on the weekend. So these are the things that we're looking at. Um, there is a exhibit that we've created in Nelson Hall. We're calling it the Campus Tomorrow exhibit. And it has all of this content up there and more. It has questions that we really want to hear, your comments on, your concerns as we're growing. We're going to hopefully have some open houses with the city of Davis this year, definitely next year, if not this year. Open houses in February, again in Nelson Hall. Starting our ERA process. Draft in the fall. Um, so this is the, as you enter Nelson Hall, we've got this big floor graphic on the ground where you can really zoom in and look around and find you know, your favorite spots. Um, so we're hoping to now, with the open houses done, um, walk different, you know, Organizations, groups through there. So Davis, you know, City of Commerce, Chamber of Commerce, um, Downtown Business Association. If you've got a student group that has regular meetings that would be interested in these kinds of issues, um, we can kind of focus it in a way. The more people we can get in there, the better. So you can go to the website. All of this is there, so you can, this is, you know, the introduction, the core campus pieces, the transportation, has all of this there. You can look at it, you know, review it, you can zoom in, play around, and then at the end, 
really want you to click on that button and, and take the survey. So um, with that, I would love to get a sense of how you guys come to campus. So how many of you live in Davis? 90%. Um, does anyone drive? When it's rainy? Yeah, I didn't Okay, so this is really a sustainable group, right? So if you take the survey, it's going to be tailored to your behavior. So if you don't drive, we don't ask you how to get out of your car. We ask you about campus housing and what it's going to look like, and what you think about it, and what it concerns. So it's, it's a dynamic survey. Um, if you want to pretend you drive and, and, and see what the options are that we're looking at, they are basically the slides that I just showed you. What would it take to get you out of your car to drive less? So with that, I'll open up some questions. Yeah. I was just thinking uh, to get people out of the car, um, what about storage facilities on campus? I know a lot of people have issues with like I'm carrying this drafting through the office game. I had like a reliable clean locker. That's a really good idea. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'll donate money for that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really good idea. In regards, that's really a great idea. Um, we're talking about how. Can you go to the website and you say, uh, I want to contact us? <laughs> <laughs> So all of you, go do that. At the minimum, give, give me the contact us with ideas. But really, the survey has just as many opportunities to comment on all the planning issues. Well, that's a great one, definitely. Yeah. So do you know of any other communities that have successful free transportation? Or like a friend of mine from the Netherlands, and she hosted you know, commute at rush hour in the Netherlands, and it was nothing but bicycles. Huh? It was crazy and all. That's totally cool. It looks like a roundabout in Davis on Monday morning at 8.30. But I was wondering, it's like, I like the idea of ride sharing. And so are there any successful free public transportation that you know of? Yeah, I know that just the downtown parking, you know, jump on the, the lines, you can do that. There's a certain kind of free area in it. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. I mean, you, you want to make sure it works for daily life and making it, you know, free is a really good incentive. I think also one of the challenges we have is making our roadways free. Mm -hmm. It's like this block like, the default system, you know, if anything, you can switch it. Mm -hmm. So you know the roads aren't free, but actually like transit are is. And one more to be back on that. Is there public transportation that's easy from Sacramento to here for the people who live over there to here? Because if I was waiting for the train to come back to campus from Santa Clara mm -hmm. on a Monday morning. I was there like an hour, over an hour early, and I watched Google van come in, Yahoo right. van come in, LinkedIn van come in, and the train just emptied, and 95% of these people got on these vans right. to go to work. Right. 
Does Davis have something like that for the people who are commuting from Sacramento? Currently, we have a UC Davis Med Center shuttle that goes from the Vanderhoff Plaza and the Mondavi Center to the Med Center in Sacramento. Um, we operate that, and we are looking at actually doing, um, making that into more of like a tech bus model where we can pick up anybody who needs to go kind of yeah, ping pong they back just and have forth. Their badge and they get on. Yeah, that's exactly what we're looking at. And the, the challenge is, if you look back at that regional transportation map, is that Sacramento has a significant amount of parking permits, um, but they're incredibly dispersed, right? Like, it's easy to show them this one Sacramento area, but how do you get from your house to that? So you parking ride. So right, so, so we're looking at parking rides, we're looking at regional shuttles, you know, and we have to do them in all three directions, you know, west on 80, east on 80, north on 113. Um, and what scale of shuttle? Is it 10 seats that are going to work best? Is it you know the minivan where the you know classmate or colleague is the driver? Is it you know huge mega bus that is you know big parking lots? So one of the things we're going to look at is trying to find parking lots that are underutilized in the region. Um, can we use those? Is that where our community is? And you can't just do one. You got to do all 20. Right? You got to give them a whole way to bike. You gotta make Amtrak cheaper, you gotta do the regional bus, you gotta do the carpool, you gotta do the lift, and it's all sweet for mobility services to make this thing work. There's a question over here, yeah. Um, is there, like, if anybody's driving a motorcycle or a scooter on campus, do we still have to pay the permit fee, parking permit fee as a vehicle? I don't know what the difference is. There is a, there is a, uh, a special parking permit for motorcycles. I don't know what the cost of it is. Um, I would imagine it's. I mean, I come from San Francisco where I grew up. All of our parking is really cheap. It's two dollars a day if you buy a parking permit for the month or for the year. I mean, that is not disincentivizing anybody. And it, it, but it's also really um, an ethical challenge for people who have a hard time affording to live in Davis. They're the ones who are driving. So why would you want to raise a fee on that demographic? That's a real challenge. So. You need to actually not hit them with a high fee, but actually make their lives better. So if we do housing on campus, we still have to do some real tough sustainability transportation policies. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that, again, is this whole suite of, of challenges. But what if we have 3,000 people living outside of Davis in the next 10 years? Is that another parking structure? I'd rather not build a parking structure that's going to last 100 years when a car is going to go through three crazy revolution and go like autonomous vehicles and they're going to be electrified and they're going to be tiny and then this parking structure is going to be obsolete and we're going to have it we're going to be in debt to you know structure i'd rather build a house i know that we're all going to be more or less the same height in years. <laughs> we're still going to have to live somewhere in 100 years so that's what we're trying to do and it's, it's a real it's a real difficult challenge I don't know the impetus for that project. Um, I think there's a part of it that is um, in need of repair. I know underneath the plaza, the North Court Plaza, there was the gaming center, right? And that, as always, with any kind of structured landscape, has leaks. 
So there's always a roof, you know, a leaky roof replaced on a house every 30 years, and it has that issue. But I think there's also um, a renovation, you know, spacious efficiency qualities of the project as well. So that opens up, I think, in the fall of 16. And they're going to have other programs in there, more state study areas, open up till 1 o'clock in the morning every day. So maybe a lot of storage. Alas. <laughs> Do you ever want to do anything? Again, walk through the Nelson Gallery with the group. Um, you can come with my card afterwards. Or, uh, um, the, the relationship to the city is a big one for these students. And we've got two sort of physical connections to them, the First Street Corridor and the Third Street Corridor. And Dave is always trying to make Third Street work. Yeah, just never seems to work. Um, are, are you guys working with the city on those gateways? I believe we are. Um, I've been here for just about a year, so I'm still doing a lot of uh, catching up and learning. Um, but I think Bob Seeger has been working with the city. They've been looking at the Third Street Corridor as more bicycle parking, more pedestrian friendly, at least at least between Central Park and campus, and then making that side of the campus entrance uh, more of a gate. Right? I mean, if you look at it, we actually own three corners of that intersection. So it's on us to make that really a pleasant um, experience. And how do you do that? 